0: Savuot. That's happy feast of weeks. Pentecost is a little bit less wonderful. That's happy 50. But we'll get into this. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you're watching something, a ball game or some sport, Uh, some sort of event, entertainment event, something and you're you're watching for something to happen and it happens over there. Because you're watching something that's not relevant to what's really going on. It's kind of like when your glasses get all messed up and you need to wipe them down so you can see again to read the page. Unfortunately, this feast, this Jewish feast that we celebrate, is kind of like that, especially for the Gentile church. Everybody, and and everybody focuses on the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is a major thing in the feast, not wrong to focus on. But then they go off and get all kinds of weird in this little thing about the speaking in tongues. And I'm not gonna focus on that but I want you to know that that's not the focus. There'll be one little comment about that as we go, but I want to understand the context of this feast and what happened here. So um, the title of my message, and it's focused on Acts chapter 2, is Parsing Pentecost. Um, I love the alliteration, I'm not using it all through my sermon. Parsing is a uh, syntactical thing that we do like with the original languages you know this is a verb what's the voice and the mood and and is it active or, or passive and and it, it is an analysis, a syntactical analysis of what's going on and I'm using that as a metaphor in my title for looking at this feast because there's a whole lot more going on in the feast than we ever really think about. so we're going to look at We're going to look at this feast from Jewish eyes so that we can understand exactly what happened back then and there and what it means. So let's start out with turning to Acts chapter 1, which is kind of set up. I'm going to spend a bunch of time in Acts chapter 2, but we're going to go back to Old Testament passages to understand the context. So Acts chapter 1 and verses 4 to 8. So being assembled together with them he Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father. Hmm what's the promise of the Father? Oh he he says which he said you heard from me for truly John baptized you with water but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Oh my goodness, they're still focused on the kingdom. Didn't they see what happened at Passover? Didn't they understand that the kingdom wasn't coming now? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now there's concentric circles, like he's going to drop a stone in the, a placid lake called Jeru- right at Jerusalem, and it's going to ripple out to all Judea. That's all the place of the southern kingdom, and then Samaria, which was the northern kingdom, but now is mostly half-breed Jews and Babylonians, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. He told them at the end of Luke that they were going to go and witness to all the nations, to the goyim. So he reiterates the point to them, and he tells them, wait here until you get this gift. This promise, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, what specific promise? Well, to understand that, you need to understand what started at Passover, which is the establishment of the new co- covenant. And this particular nuance comes from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. So I'm going to read chapter 36, tw- verses 23. To the first part of 29, because it goes on from there. Verse 23, and I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among all the nations, all the goyim, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Now that's happened because they came back from the ba- Babylonian captivity, but it was only in part. And I will sprinkle you water on you, and you shall be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit, a human spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all of your uncleanness. So that's the promise that's coming. It's coming in part because it's a promise that progressively plays out over time and is still not fulfilled. Now back in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, they get into the upper room, right, there's a whole, there's some things that happen that aren't relevant to Pentecost, so I want to focus on Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So they're all gathered. Now Pentecost is a Greek word, Pentecost day. It translates as 50. So the day of 50. What's that mean? Why 50? Well, to understand why it's called Pentecost, we need to go look back at the the Torah, the Levitical roots to these feasts. So let's go back to Leviticus chapter 23. You want to know about the feasts? Leviticus chapter 23 is ground zero. It explains all the basics of the feast. Now, they're mentioned elsewhere, like in Numbers and Deuteronomy, but this one chapter is very succinct. So Leviticus Chapter 23, eh, we have to start earlier than Pentecost or Shavuot. Verse 5, on the 14th day of the first month, that's the month Nisan or Abib. In the Torah, it's Abib. Abib and Nisan are the same month. The first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day, that's the, the day after Passover, of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you will, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. So it's a Sabbath. You shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. Another high Sabbath. So the Passover is one holiday, and right on the next day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And Jesus fulfilled the Passover. He was the Passover lamb, sacrificed for all who would believe on him, to pay the justice to God for their rebellion and idolatry and sin. He paid my rebellion and idolatry and sin. Maybe he's paid your rebellion and idolatry and sin. And he was the unleavened bread. When you look at the matzo, there's no leaven in it. Leaven is a a type of sin in the Bible. And it's pierced, and it's got stripes, like Isaiah 53 talks about. So it's a visual example at Passover of Christ on the cross. And then comes the next holiday in Leviticus 23, and we'll read 9 to 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land, I will give to you. So this is a future celebration. It wasn't celebrated in this way during the time of the wanderings in the wilderness. And and reap its harvest. You shall bring a, a sheaf, of firstfruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheep before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So there's a little bit of confusion about, well, what Sabbath is he talking about? The normal Friday Sabbath or the high Sabbath of Passover? Well, we'll get a little bit more on that. So they bring in, this is the barley harvest. They bring in a sheep and the priest waves it In the Holy of Holies, or in front of the Holy of Holies, probably from the holy place, because he only goes into the Holy of Holies once, right? With lots of blood. And this is a thanksgiving to God for the barley harvest. It's the very first harvest that they have in the agricultural year. And they wave it and thank God, and they don't eat any parched corn or any of the barley harvest or any of the other harvest before that happens. Thank you, Lord, for giving us food to eat. So there's a, this festival is about thanking God for sustenance. You've given us the increase because so much can go wrong with crops. Really, you know, even if it rains during the harvest, the crop can be ruined. Thank you, Lord, for giving us sustenance. And then the next harvest comes. And here's where we start to understand about Pentecost. Leviticus 23, 15 through 17. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath. Again, which Sabbath is this talking about? From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. So from the day after Passover, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days. There it is, Pentecost to the day of the seventh Sabbath, and then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits of the Lord. This is a second harvest festival in the spring. It is the wheat harvest now. You're 50 days further into the year. And you take the wheat, you thresh the wheat, you grind it into fine flour, and you make two loaves. Think two challah breads. Why two? Why with leaven? This is the only sacrifice in all of the Levitical law made with leaven. Certainly, in this perspective, you've given us some harvest, you've multiplied our harvest, so now we bring two loaves to you. You've multiplied our harvest. Thank you, Lord. We have this bread to eat. Again, bread. So there's the picture of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of the Harvest. And that's what's going on behind the scenes. But wait, there's more to come. So let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. So now we understand why we're here. Now the question is, what's going on? So they're in the upper room, right? On the day of Pentecost, they had just read, had fully come. They were with one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven, like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the sign that Christ told told them to watch for, to wait for. Now, I don't know if they put one and one together and said, oh, it's going to come on the feast of Shavuot. Probably not. They were still looking for the kingdom. They are expecting the, the, the son of David to rule over Rome, right? So now the promise of the Father is poured out onto the disciples. And there was their dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation on heaven. Why were they there? Hmm, we'll get to that. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speaking in their own language. Oh no, it's the gift of speaking in tongues. Yeah, that word language is dialectos, dialects. And look, it's even even supported by the context. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to to one another, look, are these not all those who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own dialectos? in which they were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and in Asia, in Phrygia, in Pamphylia, in Egypt and all the parts of Liberty adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them speaking in our own dialectos, the wonderful works of God. That's what everybody focuses on. Now to understand why they were confused and why they were amazed, we need to take a little bit of rabbinical history now. So the rabbis over the course of the centuries, certainly in Jesus' day coming out of Second Temple Judaism, had already set up a reading program that was used in the synagogues. They have two pieces of of their um, reading program. They have a Torah reading and a half Torah reading. This is like the other, or the, the partial, right? So they read out of the Torah, the five books of Moses, and they read out of mostly the prophets. So the Torah reading, and it's two days, they expanded the days because the Jewish world was spread around, that everything's centric on Jerusalem. You're going to do it on this specific day. Well, you know, there's different time zones. Certainly from our own understanding, we can conceive of that. So they extended out the amount of time for celebrating the feast so that the people not in Jerusalem can celebrate it on the same day. So two days' worth of readings. The first day, the Torah reading is Exodus 19 all the way through near the end of Exodus 20. So let's go take a look at some of that because it speaks to what's going on here. Exodus 19, verse 1. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready on the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all his people. Tremendous thing in the history of Israel, the giving of the law, right? Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments, the beginning of the law. What's going on here? Well, we know from Leviticus... That Nisan 14 is Passover, right? The day after Passover, the 15th, is the day of unleavened bread. And they celebrated that because they, they only ate unleavened bread on Passover and there was no time to add leaven to the bread when they left Egypt. So what day did they leave Egypt? The day after Passover. 15 of Nisan there's 30 days in a Jewish month. So that's, they're traveling, starting the 15th of Nisan, there's 16 days of travel in the month of Nisan. Then they get to the month Eyar. There's 30 days in Ayar. They travel all the days of the month of Eyar. So that's 16 and 30, that's 46. And it says that they come in In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. and So that's one of 30 days they could have arrived at Sinai, but the the rabbi said it was the first of, of Sivan, the third month. So that's one more day. 46 and one is 47. Ooh, wait a second. And it says, God told them, consecrate yourselves. Today and tomorrow, let them wash their clothes. Later it says, stay away from your wives, no sexual relation, be holy to the Lord, and on the third day I'll meet with you. That's 50 days. That's the counting of the Omer. That's the feast that will become the feast of Shavuot. Oh! So the Jewish community is celebrating the giving of the law on Shavuot too. And there's the other part of the backdrop now to understand some of this we have to look at God coming and meeting with them so Exodus 19 verses 19, 17 through 20 and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God so this is, the three, this is the 50th day and they stood at the foot of the mountain now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended in upon it in fire There's that fire reference that mimics Acts chapter two. The smoke descended like the smoke of a furnace, another reference to fire. And the whole mountain quaked greatly. So they're watching this mountain and they're feeling an earthquake. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded longer, long and became louder and louder, that's the tekiah gadol that we'll hear at the trumpets. Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And they heard God speak to Moses. Then the Lord came down on the mountain Sinai, on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And he got the Ten Commandments, right? He was up there 40 days and 40 nights to the point where they were like, We don't know what happened to Moses. Make us gods, we're going to go back to Egypt. This they commemorate. Mm -hmm. This is the Feast of Shavuot. But wait, there's more. What does the half Torah say? Well, the half Torah for that day is out of the book of Ezekiel. So they're reading about Moses and Sinai and the giving of the law on this feast. And they're also reading out of Ezekiel chapter one. So take a look at this. Ezekiel chapter one, and I've switched to the NASB for these two, because they make the the language clearer. So Ezekiel chapter one, verse four, and as I looked, a high wind was coming from the north. A great cloud with fire flashing intermittently, and a bright light around it, and in the midst, something like gleaming metal in the midst of the fire. So there's that picture of fire. And now we add a high wind, a mighty rushing wind, when God shows up. Because Ezekiel has this picture of God's movable throne coming to him. And in the midst of the living beings that are under this throne, carrying it, there is something that looks like burning coals of fire and torches moving around the living being. The fire was bright and lightning was flashing from the fire. And the living creatures ran back and forth like bolts of lightning. So this whole picture of this chapter is God coming to Israel by the river Chabar in Babylon. And this is what presents him. And this is what they're reading on Shavuot. Now, if they read just a little bit further, you see exactly what Ezekiel was commissioned to do as a prophet, because this is Ezekiel's commissioning as a prophet. Verses 2, 1 to 5, Then he, the Lord, said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me, and he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have revolted against me to this very day. So I am sending you to those who are impudent and obstinate children. And you are to say to them, this is what the Lord said.' Lord God says. As for them, whether they listen or not, For they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Now there's the whole backdrop. Now the other thing that's read during the second day, the Torah readings out of Deuteronomy 14 through 16, and it talks about three feasts that all the men of Israel were required to go up to to wherever God put his name, which is Jerusalem in the time that we're talking about. Three times a year, they must all make the travel to Jerusalem and present themselves before the Lord. The first was Pesach, right? Passover. The second was Shavuot, the feast of the first fruits, the wave offering of the two loaves. And last was Sukkot, the very last feast of the the fall feast at the end of the year, at the end of the harvest. So they were all there because they had to be there. They had to be there at Passover. They had to be there at Shavuot. Now this is just 50 days away from when Jesus died on the cross. And now there's another bunch of strange things happening. There's the backdrop. And oh, by the way, the half Torah reading is the book of Ruth from which we understand the whole concept of the kinsman redeemer. And it's a gentile that is the heroine of the book. Now there's the context of what's going on here. Let's go back and look at it. There dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation, they hear the sound occurred, right? And the multitude came together, and they were confused because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. They were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look at, aren't, aren't these all Galileans? Galileans have their own dialect. Why am I hearing them in English? Obviously, there was no English there, Right? But there was Parthians and Medes and Cappadocians. They all had their own language. The Romans were hearing it in Latin. And they're all talking about the wonderful things that are the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed. Verses 11 and 12. They were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What could this mean? So God, centuries earlier, set up this calendar, these appointed times, and they were in Jerusalem for Passover, and they walked by the crucifixion. Here's the king of the Jews on the cross, and he died, and the third day he arose again. To the point when, he met, when Jesus risen met with the brothers on the road to Emmaus, he's like, Where have you been that you haven't heard about this? All of Jerusalem knows that what happened. So, that 50 days ago, they experienced that, and now they're back in Jerusalem in a mighty rushing wind, and the disciples descending with, I don't know if the crowd saw the fires, the fiery tongues on their head or not but they heard them all speaking in their own language, the wonderful works of God. And I kind of think that the people groups were probably together because they spoke their own dialects, right? They all probably spoke Aramaic and maybe Latin, but they probably stood with the people that they came with from their country, from their region. So I can see the disciples going out and the ones speaking Cappadocian are with the Cappadocians. And Peter gets up and speaks, right? And I think they're relaying the message through the crowd in the individual dialects. That's the way I look at this passage. So what could this mean, is what they said. And others are mocking, going, ah, they're all drunk. Right? And Peter gets up. Now, 50 days earlier, Peter couldn't answer a servant girl but denied Jesus with cursing. Peter gets up. And he's standing with the 11 and he raises his voice. There's no slide for this. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for this, these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's not possible that we're drunk. He answers that. And he goes on in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words of Jesus of Nazareth. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So they all saw what was going on for the three years. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, God did something in him. You have taken by lawless hand and crucified him and put him to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Timid Peter can't answer the servant girl. You took the Messiah and you crucified him. And he goes on, after quoting David, verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, of which we were all witnesses. God brought him back to light, just like David said. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear, for David did not ascend into heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made this Jesus, this Yeshua, this salvation is of the Lord. That's literally what his name means. Whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now talk about an in-your-face sermon. They already see the backdrop. They know that this commemorates God giving the law on Sinai. And they know that this also commemorates Ezekiel commission to come to the rebellious house. And now they're confronted with their sin that they partook in in crucifying their own Messiah. Now, we're all guilty of that. The Jews were part of it, egging on the Romans, so you have both Jews and Gentiles, a faction against Yeshua, crucifying, but Peter says that was God's determined counsel. It was his decree that Messiah would be crushed, and you can read Isaiah 53. It talks directly about that. You took him. You crucified him. God has raised him up. He is now Lord, and he is Messiah. And we're speaking to a rebellious house who did the deed. Now you can might gather some understanding of why they're confused and amazed, and probably trembling, because the Lord has risen up. Right? The Lord is coming, and they think judgment. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children and to all who are far off. That's the Gentiles. And as many as the Lord will call, and with many other words he testified and exhorted exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. God made a way for you to be forgiven. God made a way to put away his justice and and give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. God is starting a new covenant here today that sets aside the old covenant, the covenant which you broke. Turn again to God. Now you remember back at Sinai, when when Moses came down after 40 days. He got to to the bottom, right? And there they are, with an idol worshiping. And Aaron, the high priest, says, well, they gave me their their gold and I threw it in the, the fire and this came out. Really? Is that your defense, Aaron? And Moses broke the tablets because they had already broken the covenant. And then the Levites, Moses calls who's on the Lord's side, the Levites come to him, not the firstborn that had been redeemed because all the firstborn are the Lord's. The priesthood was supposed to be originally the firstborn of every household. The Levites came and they killed a bunch of the, Egyptians, the Israelites who were reveling in idolatry. There's a connection there. Then those, back in Acts, then those who gladly received this word were baptized, and that day, how many were saved? What's it say? Nope, read it again. About 3,000. What? Wait a second. They can count how many people coming out of Egypt to the man who can fight, right? Several times through some tedious passages as as a Gentile believer. They have these exact counts. About 3,000? We don't know. We can't count them. When you see something like this in Scripture, go look. Go looking. This occurs one other place in Scripture. Anybody have a guess of where that happens? It's in the book of Exodus. When the Levites put on their swords and went through the, went through the people killing, about 3,000 died. There's a connection here. God is redeeming those about 3,000 to be in a special place for him. This is like a new priesthood. A priesthood of Melchizedek that serves Melchizedek like the Levites served Aaron. There were were added to them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship And in the breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came on every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. This is the birthday of the church. This is the pouring out of the first fruits of the new covenant. Our Pentecostal brothers totally focus on the dialects that were spoken and say, no, 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 that's some heavenly language. It's not. They were dialects. Galileans were speaking languages, dialects that they didn't know, and everyone was hearing them in their own dialect. All to point out this picture of we're starting a new covenant, a new way. So I have a question for you. What must you do because that's what's on the table in this passage. What's required of you when you understand the context of this? Now, there's a bunch of people here probably online. I don't know. I don't know your heart. Maybe you're not a believer in Christ, in Messiah. If that's your case, the scripture tells us that we're all, all have sinned and fallen short of of the glory of God. We are all born in sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. We've all gone out of the way. We have together become unprofitable. We're all sinned and under under God's condemnation. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to repent. You need to turn to God. You need to confess your sins. And you need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ that you can, too, share in this great salvation that we have. That's for unbelievers. What about if you believe? Well, I can imagine some believe, but they haven't done exactly what happens in this passage. You're supposed to receive and believe, repent, receive, that's the belief part, and then be baptized. Baptized. If you're a believer and you haven't been baptized, that's the next thing on your journey with the Lord. And, you know, if you're in that place, talk to Roman. I'm sure that he would be overjoyed to have another baptism. You need to start obeying. You need to repent of doing things your own way and get baptized. But wait, don't answer yet, because... We all, you remember that picture of the two loaves? Made with leaven. You have a pic, why two loaves? Well, yeah, it's increase of the harvest, but it's also Jew and Gentile together as one offering to God. And lo and behold, the offering are saints with leaven in them. Yet God calls us to be holy as he is holy. So you're, you're born again, you've been baptized. How's your war against sin in your members going? Are you putting down sin in your life? Or have you just decided, like the Israelites in the Old Testament, eh, we'll live with the idolaters in the area. No. You're supposed to be holy as he is holy. You're supposed to be a representative to all the nations. By him being sanctified and set apart in your life so that you can speak God's word to them. You need to be fighting against your sin and some of you need to get in the word and start fighting again. Instead of letting the hands hang down and give up in the battle. And it says that they were all steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. There is a whole discipline to discipleship. Right? There's things that we're supposed to be disciplined in doing. Being in the word, knowing our doctrine, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, being transformed by the renewing of our minds that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will that God has for us. It takes work. And the scripture for for that whole sanctification process, that discipleship, uses over and over the word gymnazio. You gotta go to the gym and do some work, and build up that faith muscle. And God provided the Holy Spirit who gives us gifts. Each and every one of you has a gift. Each and every one in this church has a gift that's supposed to be used in this church to build up the body. What's your gift, and are you using it? And then there's that whole thing about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And in Matthew, to make disciples in every nation, right? And teach them to observe all things wherewith I have commanded you. Are you a mature disciple who's making disciples who will make disciples? There's the exhortation of Pentecost. It's not about speaking in tongues. It's about getting right with God and walking right with God and doing the works of God that he enables us to do so that we effectively are his hands and his feet and his eyes and his mouth to Springfield and the surrounding area. What must you do? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, Father, for putting this